This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. But particularly uh, that first two verses, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Psalms 120 to 134 is a remarkable collection of psalms within the psalms. These 15 psalms are called, and you'll see the headings on them, are called the Psalms of Degrees or the Psalms of Ascents. Various ideas have been put forth on why that should be so. Some say they simply represent uh, the stages that Israel came out of captivity uh, to go towards their homeland. Others say it simply means that these psalms are to be sung in ascending order of scale. Still others say that these psalms are to be sung by the tribes as they would go up yearly at various stages and times to the great feasts in Jerusalem. And that last idea actually happened. That's what they did as they would go up to the feasts, you know, in caravans, great crowds and families and tribes, uh, they would sing these 15 psalms. And even though that last idea was actually true, it probably did not originate uh, there. Ten of these psalms are attributed uh, to King Hezekiah, four to King David, and one to King Solomon, 127, the middle one that we have just read together. The only degrees the Bible speaks of are related to King Hezekiah. And there was a time when God spared his life and gave him another 15 years. You remember how Isaiah the prophet came in unto him and said, Thus saith the Lord, you're going to die, set your house in order. And so Isaiah left. And what did Hezekiah do? He turned his face to the wall. He cried unto the Lord. And basically he says, Lord, I've been faithful. I've done everything you asked me to do. I've been honorable in all of my dealings. And God heard his prayer. And before Isaiah had left the courts of the king, called him back again. And Isaiah said, the Lord has heard your prayer. He's going to add an extra 15 years onto your life. And Hezekiah said, well, uh, in, in effect, prove that to me. Uh, give me a sign that I'll know that that's going to happen. And Isaiah said, okay. There's a sundial out there of Hezekiah, your father. And uh, uh, I want you to make a choice here. Either that God will move the sundial 10 degrees forward or 10 degrees backwards. And so that was a no-brainer because of the natural event of things. It would go 10 degrees forward. 
It would be impossible and miraculous if it would go 10 degrees backwards. So he says, make it that it goes 10 degrees backward. And God made it so that it went 10 degrees backward on the sundial. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that happens. But God did it anyway. And so uh, that was the degrees. You'll find out in 2 Kings 20 and Isaiah 38. There's two main events in Hezekiah's life. One of them was the sundial that I just mentioned. And the other one related to Sennacherib. Now the story of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, is found in 2 Kings 18 19, 2 Chronicles 32, Isaiah 36 and 37. Sennacherib was king of Assyria. Syria was a northern kingdom. And they had a great military might. They were a powerful militaristic nation. They were expansionist. In other words, they would gobble up other nations. And they were wickedly cruel. Uh, they were famous for their cruelty. It wasn't enough that they would go into an area uh, and slaughter, but they would cut off hands, they would cut off feet, they would cut off heads, they would pile them up. Just something similar to what the ISIS jihadists are doing in Syria and in Iraq today. And the end of fact was it would strike terror into the hearts of whatever country they would come into, whatever city they would come against. And so the people were just about defeated before they even came. If they saw them coming, their terror had gripped them and fear, great fear, because these were a vicious and cruel and wicked people. And uh, Sennacherib uh, had taken Israel was coming into Judah and had taken the fortified cities of Judah and he was about to take Jerusalem where Hezekiah was. And, uh, but he had some other fights to do, uh, a place called Lachish, and uh, that was about a day's journey away. And so he kept a, a division there of soldiers with some of his envoys uh, to threaten uh, and to intimidate Jerusalem and its inhabitants. And... Uh, and it really was threatening. Uh, they would send letters and they would read them out. And they would say, you know, we're going we're gonna to annihilate you. And your God, your God, the God of Israel, will not save you. None of the gods of other nations that we attacked ever saved them. And we wiped them out and you will be done the same way. And so there was a great threat and they were arrogant and they were full of pride and they had great military might and just the very sight of them would strike fear and terror into the hearts of those who were living in Jerusalem. And at this time, that's when Hezekiah looked for some comfort and some strength and some encouragement and he looked out this particular psalm that was written by Solomon. If you look at the heading of Psalm 127, it says a Psalm of Solomon. And, and he felt that was apropos to his situation at that particular time. So even though it's written by Solomon, Hezekiah, he, he takes it in a sense, and he gets encouragement by, that, by this. Now notice here the first thing. It says, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, let's see what we can uh, glean from this tonight. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Remembering that Solomon wrote this particular psalm. So the house he's referring to, uh, first and foremost, is the temple that he built, the house of the Lord. 
and perhaps maybe even his own house, which took 13 years to build. The house of the Lord, he took seven, he took 13 to build his own house. Now, the house of the Lord, the temple of Solomon, was a beautiful, magnificent temple. Magnificent, not in the sense of, of size, because the scale of it is written in the scriptures, and if you worked on it, it wasn't a massive, massive thing. Not like Herod's temple in Jesus' day, which was massive. I mean, it held thousands of people. But Solomon's temple was magnificent in the sense that it was beautiful. It had the uh, very ornate, very opulent. It was full of gold and silver. Uh, you know, he sent 30,000 uh, carpenters all the way to Lebanon, to the cedars of Lebanon, in, in tens of thousands at a time. And they would stay there for several weeks, uh, cut down trees, and then another 10,000 would go and another 10,000. And so all these would be adorned, this temple, be overlaid with gold, overlaid with silver. The smell of the cedar would be fragrant. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. There would be beautiful uh, ornate curtains that would be embroidered. There'd be silver and gold, precious stones. It was just absolutely uh, the last word. But, but it was made for worship. It was made to honor God. It was made to glorify the God of heaven. That's what its purpose was. And if that wasn't going to happen, then they would labor in vain who built it. That's what its purpose was. And if it was used for any other reason or if that was neglected, and it was, by the way, later on, then it was built in vain. And so here is Hezekiah, and he's thinking about these things, and he's thinking about what Solomon built, and he's thinking now of the temple that's in Jerusalem and Jerusalem that was built for the honor of God, and he's thinking, if, if this is not honored, and it's been built in vain. You know, when Hezekiah became king, he was only 25. His father was Ahaz, and Ahaz was an idolatrous man, and the temple had been left to ruin. In fact, when Hezekiah took over the very, within a month of taking over just as a young man, he decided that he was going to clean out that temple, and he was going to start to re-enter just temple worship again. He was going to get the priest going again. And it took them a week just to clean out the temple. It was so full of rubbish and garbage. That's how it had been left. And he thought, this is in vain. This has been built in vain if we leave it this way. And so he cleaned it out, and he began to get true worship of the true and the living God. The, the incredible wealth in, in 1 Chronicles 28 and 1 Chronicles 29, the incredible wealth that, his father, uh, that Solomon's father David had left to build this temple was amazing. I mean, in our money today, you're going into millions and millions and millions and millions. Uh, David wanted to build it, but he couldn't because he had bloody hands, God said, but your son will build it. So what David did in the intervening time, he made sure that there would be enough materials to make this for the glory of God. And sure enough, Solomon uh, not only used that, but enhanced that with the cedars of Lebanon and so forth. And uh, so here it is. This house was to be built for God's glory. If it was going to be used for any other reason or it was going to be neglected, it would be built in vain. Now Solomon, who wrote this psalm, started out well, but finished badly. 
Uh, in his latter life, he accumulated uh, gold onto himself and horses onto himself and wives onto himself, something that God forbid kings to do in those days, but he did it. He ended up with uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a lot, that's a thousand women, that's a lot of women, isn't it? But, you know, he had lots of money, he had opulence, he had affluence, and so he, you know, they, they, everything was the last word for all of his women. But the trouble was they were foreign and they were pagan, and they turned his head away from God. And his heart began to follow these other gods, and he would build them idols and places of worship until he became as bad as they were. And that was sad. That was really, really sad because the temple that he was built was made for the glory of God. Even good King Hezekiah, who was a really, really good king, even he, under threat of Sennacherib, compromised and tried to buy his way out of trouble. How did he do that? Well, he stripped the temple of the gold and the silver and he took money from the treasury including his own and he gave that to Sennacherib to try to buy off the impending threat but it didn't work compromise never ever works you cannot compromise with the devil <coughs> doesn't work friends but he tried it and he found out that it just didn't work and so he instituted this temple worship. But after Hezekiah, by the way, his son Manasseh, he began to reign, and he reigned disastrously. I mean, he, Hezekiah was the good son of a bad father, but he was the good father of a bad son. And Manasseh was bad, really, really bad. And any good that Hezekiah had done, Manasseh was hell-bent and undoing that and going back to the worship of false gods. And then tragically, sadly, many, many years later, that temple, that great temple that was built for the glory of God that had become neglected, had become ruined, had become trashed, over and over again, eventually the Babylonians came and they utterly destroyed it. They burnt it with fire and they just raised it to the ground. Unless, 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 unless it's built for the glory of God and it's kept for the glory of God, it's built in vain. All of us are called to build something for the Lord. Every single believer to build a life, build a marriage, build a home, build a church, build a congregation, build a business, build a career. All of us are called to build something that will honor and glorify the Lord. And if it doesn't, except the Lord build the house, it will be in vain. It'll come to nothing. It won't amount to hell of beans at the end of the day. Only one life will soon be passed. What does it say? Only what's done for Christ will last. That doesn't mean to say that it has to be in church. 
your job, your business, your career, whatever you're doing, but you can glorify God with it, can't you? You can say, God, I'm doing this for your honor and for your glory. But if you neglect that or forget that or allow that to take over your life and God set aside, then it'll all be in vain. It will not work the way God wants it to work. And so our desire to honor God, our high and holy hopes of seeing God magnified will only come to an end if we don't glorify God with it. God will write Echabod over it, the glory of the Lord has departed. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Those watchmen on the walls weren't sleeping too well. Well, they wouldn't be sleeping on duty, but when they're off duty, they wouldn't be sleeping too well. They'd be rising up early. They'd be staying up late. Why? Because the enemy was at the gate. And as I said a moment or two ago, this was a cruel and dangerous and wicked enemy. Sleep was driven from them. Now, at this point, they weren't trusting the Lord at this point. They felt they were on their own. Already, most of Judah had been taken. They were the last in line. How would you feel if you were last in line? You know, you looked at those people again in, in, in Syria and Iraq where those bloodthirsty Islamists and, and jihadists were surrounding that mountain and those people on top of it couldn't get off. Can you imagine the fear and the trepidation was in them knowing what these people are capable of? You know, during the last war, whenever the Red Army was marching through Germany, uh, going on to Berlin, I mean, the Germans were absolutely terrified because the Red Army's reputation had gone before them. And let me tell you, they, they meant business. And what they, well, they would kill the men, but the women and the children, they were absolutely terrified and had every right to be. And so these watchmen on the walls are struggling. They're eating the bread of sorrows. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain to you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. And then he says this, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Ah. If you know the Lord is on your side, and they were about to find this out. If you know the Lord is on your side, you can sleep a lot easier in your bed at night. If you know the Lord is on your side, it makes sleep easier. Unless the Lord guards the city, would the Lord guard their city? Will the Lord guard your city, what you're building? Absolutely. If we're doing it for his glory. And we haven't been neglectful for his glory. And then he says, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now remember Solomon wrote this. After the birth of Solomon, remember that was David's son to Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet called him Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means 
Beloved of the Lord. Beloved of the Lord. So in this psalm, in the first instance, Solomon is speaking about himself. He's the beloved of the Lord. He's Jedediah. But in this psalm, Hezekiah applies it to himself. He took what Solomon had wrote and he applied it to himself. And we can take this psalm and we can claim it for ourselves. In the midst of wrestling, there can come rest. In the midst of a crisis, actually there can come a comfort. In the midst of sorrow, there can come sleep. I don't know how that works, but God can work that. My peace, Jesus said, I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace, the peace that I've got, says I can give that unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Jesus was on that boat with those disciples in the midst of that terrible storm. The boat was jumping up into the sea and crashing down again. The disciples were scared out of their wits. These were seasoned fishermen who had been in many seas before, but that particular time was absolutely terrifying. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep on a pillow, sleeping as sound as a baby. <laughs> One writer says, the bellows was rocked him, rocking him to sleep. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been on that ferry going to, going to Cairn Ryan. I've been on it a couple of times, and one time I was on it, it wasn't very nice. I'm not the best. Of, uh, I get second boats at the best of times, uh, but it's not very nice. A friend of mine says, <laughs> he was on it one night, coming from Cairn Ryan to Stranar, it was over to Larne, and he says, <laughs> the captain brought the ship out, and he says he couldn't get it turned. And he says, we end up away on the north coast up near Port Rush. And the captain says, look, I'm afraid, folks, I'm going to have to turn this. We can't go the whole way around Ireland. He says, brace yourselves. But he says, that thing leapt out of the sea. He says, it was scary. And we got into Belfast docks, and it took us two hours to dock till the wind ceased. He says, it was wild. It was shocking. And it was shocking in that boat. And yet Jesus, in the midst of it, was perfectly asleep didn't bother him one bit. He knew he was about his father's business. And he knew he was going to get to the other side. And of course, remember, they woke him and says, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? <laughs> if they only had to stop at the word master. Master. And he was the master, wasn't he? And he proved that because he got up and he says, Oh, ye of little faith. And he spoke to that wind and the sea obeyed him. Peter was in prison in Acts 12. Herod had killed James, the brother of John, with sword, proceeded also to take Peter too. Got him arrested, put him in prison, went into the Passover, going to present him to the people, and he's going to cut the head off him. What's Peter doing? The night before his execution, he's chained between two soldiers. There's two standing at the gate. Four of them are taking in shifts all night. What's he doing? He's sleeping. 
You know, I, I've often thought about this, you know, especially in America where the death sentence is, you know, where they, where they actually get to choose their last meal. And I've often thought, you know, I read the la one of the last guys, he, you know, he had this big burger and he had ice cream and he had all this stuff. And I thought, how in the world could you eat that? You know, you're going to the chair and you're going to be executed in a few hours. How could you eat? Would your appetite not leave you? Evidently, it didn't leave them. But there you go. But Peter, he's lying, sleeping. And the angel of God came and slapped him. Had to slap him to wake him up. <laughs> That's a sound sleep, isn't it? If an angel has to slap you to wake him, some of you, I think an angel would have to come and slap you to wake you up in the morning anyway for work. And he had to get dressed. The angel told him, get your sandals on. I mean, he was made himself comfortable. Hadn't a care in the world. As far as he was concerned, he was in God's hands. If he lived, he lived for the Lord. If he died, he died for the Lord. What an attitude. And of course, you know the story how the angel caught him out of that prison. And he went to that house and where they're all praying for him to be released. And then when he was released, they couldn't believe it. He says, you saw a ghost. They said, the girl, you saw a ghost. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Psalm 3, 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 3, 4, and 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Ah. Proverbs 3, 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Lots of scriptures in the Bible about sleep. Actually, when it says he gives his beloved sleep, it, it can mean three things. It can mean physical sleep. And we all need physical sleep. Now, I find as I get older, my sleep patterns has changed a lot find them usually up a couple of times in the night at least and what a job getting over once you're up anybody else find that there's only me you're not going to admit it sure you're not <laughs> clever eh? man he's I'm clever now we've been in the Ukraine lots of times I mean we get into bed in the Ukraine and then three minutes he's snoring he's gone he's out haven't even got a conversation with him and he's gone <laughs> isn't that right Clifford He's a great sleeper. Wish I could sleep that he sleeps. The last time, can I tell you a thing? The last time Paul James was here, did you hear what he said? He says, if you can't sleep at night, it's because you have a bad conscience. And I thought to Sally, I must have an awful bad conscience because <laughs> I'm up two or three times. <laughs> but I haven't done anything. <laughs> I meant to correct him afterwards, and then I forgot about it, you know. I must mention that to him. Shouldn't use that, Paul, in a sermon, you know. Not everybody's like you. Because he's a great sleeper. He's a clever. He just goes off and he's gone, he says. <laughs> so it could mean physical sleep. We all need physical sleep. It's a mystery, isn't it? They have never discovered really why. But we need it. And we have to have it. You cannot exist without it. Some young people doing those games, video games, has sat up for days and nights playing that game until they died for lack of sleep. 
That's all they died for, lack of sleep. It can kill you if you don't get good sleep. So it could mean that. Or it could mean that God gives us spiritual sleep, spiritual rest. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hmm? I will give you rest, spiritual rest, taking away the anxiety and the worry and the fear or the dread, all of that stuff that just causes us untold damage. I will give you rest. Or, or the third thing it could mean that God gives to us, and some translations say this, God gives to us while we sleep. God gives to us while we sleep. This is the unconscious giving of God. This is the unrealized giving of God. God working behind the scenes already in advance, even before we're even aware of it or know about it. God's already working for us while we're sleeping. God's already working out the problem while we're sleeping. We all have a tendency to try to work it out, and that's why we can't sleep, don't we? I mean, I'm no different. We all have that tendency. But God is already working out on our behalf. He's already away down the line before we get there. So it could mean that God gives to us while we are sleeping. Psalm 121.4, He that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Look at Genesis 2 just for a moment. Verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. Amen. Is there no men in here tonight? I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he brought, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Ah. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and while he slept, he performed an operation. <coughs> Without anesthetic. It wasn't keyhole surgery either. It was supernatural. And from that, came woman while he was sleeping. He knew he needed somebody to share his life with, but there was nobody. And he couldn't do it with animals. 
And God said, it's not good that he should be alone. I'll make somebody that will be just right for him. I wonder, is there somebody that's just right for you? And maybe you worry about it. Maybe you fret about it, especially if you get a little bit older. Sometimes panic sets in. But you say, Lord, if you've got somebody for me, I'm just going to rest and going to sleep and I'm going to let you do your work. And lo and behold, Miss Wright or Mr. Wright may come along at the right time. <laughs> but if you go out your way to try to make it happen, sometimes that's for big mistakes can be made, isn't it? I'm not hearing any amens at all. <laughs> In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He called all of his wise men, all of his sorcerers, all of his astrologers. He said, I had a dream last night. And I want you to give me the interpretation, but I forgot what the dream was. So you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And he says, oh, king, live forever. Tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. And he said, you're playing for time here. I told you I forgot what the dream was. And if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'll make your houses dunghills, and I'll cut you to bits and make you an ash heap. <laughs> That would kind of focus your thoughts a little bit there, wouldn't it? <laughs> and the word came back to Daniel. Daniel went to the king. He says, King, if you just give me just a little bit of time, I'll give you your dream and your interpretation. And he gathered his friends around. You read it in Daniel 2. He gathered his friends around him. And he prayed about it. And then God showed him what he slept he rested. God showed him the dream and the interpretation. C.H. Spurgeon, who was arguably the greatest British preacher that ever lived, he probably preached about 10 times a week. He was an amazing man. Preached to thousands every Sunday. Started off as just a young man when he was just a young man in his teens, he was preaching to thousands. And his wife said sometimes because of his really hectic, busy schedule, and he didn't, he wasn't like this all the time, but from time to time, she said there was times that it came Saturday night and he didn't have a message for Sunday. And he'd go to bed at night. He'd fall asleep. And she said he'd preach a sermon in his sleep. A whole sermon in his sleep. He got up the next day and he preached it in church. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Lord. <laughs> but he was a one-off. He was unique. Nobody else could do that. I don't think the Lord would do it anybody else. Only C.H. Spurgeon. <laughs> First Kings chapter 3. Solomon had just become king and the Lord says, uh, what do you want? 
Only one minute to be free. And uh, said, well, Lord, I want to be able to rule those people wisely. That was his only concern, not for himself, but for the people. And while he slept, God came to him and told him because he had asked that, God would give him wisdom. He was the wisest man that ever lived. And he gave him great riches because he didn't ask for those. But God gave them as a bonus. While he slept, God came. Samuel was just a wee boy in the temple. And three times God comes to him and says, Samuel. Samuel hears his name being called. He runs into Eli. He says, Eli, what do you want? Eli, the old priest, says, I didn't call you. Goes back to bed, falls asleep. Samuel. He jumps up. Eli, it was you. I heard you, you calling me. He says, no, son, it didn't. Goes back to bed. Third time, Samuel jumps up again into Eli. Eli said, he realized the Lord's speaking here. He says, go back, lie down again, and if the Lord speaks again, say, speak, Lord, thy servant hears. He goes back, he falls asleep. I don't know how he fell asleep, but he did. <laughs> Samuel, Samuel, he wakes up. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And he gave him that vision of what was going to happen to the nation, what was going to happen to Eli, the priesthood. The ears of all Israel will tingle at this word I've gotten for you to deliver to Eli. It's just a wee boy. Eli was his mentor. It's a big thing to ask. But God came to him in his sleep. God gives to us while we sleep. Who knows what God's planning for you while you're sleeping tonight? Huh? And you put your head in a pillow and you eventually get over. Clifford will be over in two seconds. Take me at least an hour. But when you eventually go over, who knows what God's planning for you for the next day, or the next week, or the next month, or the next year? That's the wonderful thing. He's always planning for our good and for his glory. And he doesn't have to always tell us, by the way. <laughs> All we've got to do is just walk humbly before him and walk right into his plans for our lives. Second Kings 19, we'll close with this. Second Kings 19. If you're, if you're to read those chapters, you'd find it. Hezekiah sent for Isaiah, prophet. And Isaiah told him, don't worry. Nothing to fear here. God's on our side. <coughs> I'm paraphrasing. In fact, they said, there'll not even be an arrow shot at you. In spite of all of their threats and all of their great army, there'll not even be an arrow shot into the city. And not only that, I'm going to put a word in his ear, he's going to go back home again. And he'll be killed with the sword back home. Hezekiah had got a, a letter from one of Sennacherib's envoys. And Hezekiah took it before the Lord. He read it, and he took it before the Lord. He says, Lord, 
Look at their threats. Isaiah says, don't worry about it. God's in control. <laughs> He's got it all worked out. And you know what happened? You know what happened? You read the story. Here's what happened. While Sennacherib was at another city, just a, a, about a day away, a day's march away, <laughs> an angel of the Lord came and wiped out 185,000 of them. One angel. 185,000 wiped out. I don't know how he did that. Wiped them out. And Sennacherib got a word to go back home. And he went. With what army he had left, he went back home. Not an arrow was shot into the city. They were gone. 20 years later, his own sons murdered him with a sword. <laughs> Every word God spoke was true. And the city was saved. Hezekiah was spared. And the army was destroyed. So he gives his beloved sleep. Hezekiah took that psalm of Solomon and it gave him great comfort, gave him strength in the midst of the crisis. He must have looked at that and says, Lord, this is mine. I'm going to claim this. Do you know that that's how that got into that series of psalms? He put that end to the, to the psalms of a sense later. That's how important it was to him. It meant so much to him. You know, when God breaks through for us and does something great for us, it means a lot, doesn't it? You don't forget those things. It means a lot to you. And it meant a lot to him. So he gives his beloved sleep. Have you trouble sleeping tonight? Claim that word. Say, Lord, that's mine. Hezekiah took it as his, even though he didn't write it. You can take it as yours, even though you didn't write it. Say, Lord, that's mine. I'm going to claim that, that I'm going to sleep, whether it's physical sleep, whether it's restful sleep in the Lord, or whether it's the Lord working on my behalf, I'm going to claim it, and I'm going to rest and trust in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these psalms. We thank you for the inspiration that they give to us at difficult and trying times, Lord, again and again. Your word becomes real to us, and we thank you for it. Lord, bless, Lord, this congregation. I pray, Lord, that this incoming week as they go to their workplace or they go to school, Lord, or they go to university, wherever they go to, Lord, that your presence will be with them. Lord, that your favor will be upon them. And Lord, that you will guide and lead by your Holy Spirit. So we give you thanks, Lord. Give us sleep and rest in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Our sins are forgiven. Our souls are saved. We're on our way to heaven. Lord, the devil is defeated in our lives. We have the victory in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we can't sleep in Christ tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.